Savvy Sabs podcast on call-in. This is episode 14, Defund the Police, Uvalde Shooting. After news breaks about Texas police failure to save Uvalde students, the question still remains, do police really protect us? If not, should we defund the police? And I'm going to go ahead and take the first caller, which is uh, Mary. So, Mary, you're on the mic. You just have to hit the unmute button. Might have to press it a couple of times if you're on Android. Oh, I think you fell back to listeners. Okay. Oh, I don't know what happened. Okay, here we go. Okay, try it now. Oh, I don't know why you keep going back. Here, I'll make you a speaker. It might be easier that way. Sometimes it's a little tricky with this app. I will read some of the chats here. Um, Give them the boot says they couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. Oh, uh, Will says, I have an echo. Eric, can you tell me in the chat whether or not I'm echoing? Okay, he said it sounds fine. All right, they said it sounds fine. Okay, um, so feel free to call in. Uh, Case is here. Case, you want to be a speaker? I'll make you a speaker. I'll invite you to speak at least. All right. So I'll go ahead and get this started off. So I think all of us have seen all of the stories that have come out of um, the school shooting in Texas. And I have to say that I'm not surprised with the fact that the police didn't intervene the way that they were supposed to. I think this is a problem that we've been talking about a lot over at RBN how the police don't really protect the people, how they protect capital. And I want to get your thoughts on that. So Case, um, go ahead and chime in whenever you're ready. Hey, hey, much love to you, Sabi. Much love to the chat. Uh, I'm, I'm at work, so I'm, I might jump in and out. But um, yeah, just as as far as what's going on, you know, it's, it's so sad with, with all different, the mass shooting. And I think this is the first time I believe that the highlight is on police you know and and on their lack of being able to protect us and i'm i'm hoping that you know the quote unquote normies you know people that watch cnn the people that vote for the establishment all the time i'm hoping that their their eyes are opening to the problematic um process that or the problematic institute institution that the police is to see that they do not protect us so, um, yeah, that's what I'm going to say for right now. And, and I hope that, that this opens up their eyes. Yeah, um, I, I want to talk to people who are listening that have kids that are not homeschooled kids that actually go to uh, school physically. And I, I'm curious to hear how do you feel about this? Because I was actually saying this on stream the other day. I said, honestly, like if I have kids, I would like to homeschool them because I just don't feel that school is safe anymore. And that's unfortunate. I think that's, we shouldn't have to feel that way, but how many times am I going to hear about this? I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Brent. I think you're a caller. 
Yeah, go ahead, Brent. You just have to hit on mute. Oh, I think you fell back. I don't know what happened. Let's go with uh, Eric. I'll make you the next caller. You just have to hit on mute. Hey, Sabi, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Hey, case study. Wow, he's here too, huh? Nice. Uh, yeah, you know, as far as your question about, you know, bringing this back up about defunding the police, I think definitely we, we should bring it up. I think the, there's a lot of challenges going on right now because, for instance, there's a lot of people getting robbed, uh, like in different uh, cities. For instance, I think, I don't know if it was this week or the previous week, they had Asian Heritage Day at the, or month, I think, uh, and they had these folks at the, at the White House uh, with, with uh, Kamala and, and Joe Biden. And in part because you've seen a lot of folks, I mean, you know, 100% it's happening. A lot of Asian, especially Asian women, have been getting robbed. And that's completely wrong. Independent of, you know, their background, they should not be getting robbed or beat up the way they're getting beat up. No one should be getting that. So you have that. And so and then you have what just happened, right, with all these kids getting getting killed. And unfortunately, the money, which you've been talking about, it all goes back to the money. The lobbyists from the gun manufacturing companies make it so that they put their money in the politicians' pockets and they push for their agenda. And so therefore you can't get rid of what's going on with the guns. And our politicians haven't gone after the manufacturers like they should have long ago, right? I mean, long ago, they should have gone after them. Simultaneously, we need to have a good program to help people so that they don't rob people, so that they have enough food and they have shelter, and so that our culture shifts how they look at money and they focus on people instead of just focusing on the money. But everything is completely wrong. And so you have all these things happening all at once. And the media <clears throat> will spin it around and will never make it about the people. And so the people, uh, the, the population never gets to fully understand because they're indoctrinated into believing that the gun laws are for them rather than equating them with the money that goes behind to the politicians by the manufacturers of, the, of those guns, right? And then you have, you tie it back into the police. You completely have to redo the whole police system. You can't, you cannot start with the same people. You cannot start with the leadership who's rooted in the racism. You can't get rid of that unless you completely do away with the leadership of all these police precincts where you have all these chiefs of police who have been covering up for decades. If you look at LA, if you look at New York, these big metro cities where historically the racism is indoctrinated into or part of the culture and people just accept it. Uh, if you go to New York, you know, there are races out there. Uh, the cops are and so forth. And it, and it won't change because they're aligned in footstep with the politicians. So it's a, it's a dynamic that it's, it's a catch 22. You almost have to start from the scratch from scratch to do away with all this. Uh, and in order to do that, you'd have to take away the money from politics, which which is not going to happen right away. So it, it's not not a very easy thing to do. Uh, and I think you, I think also I think it was uh, Nick, uh, socialist MMA, that had a good uh, debate. It wasn't much of a debate, but it was more of a talk with with the guest a couple of months back, where he was talking about just the the, the slogan. Uh, it's a little bit 
it defeats the, too, too many people see the slogan as completely against what it's trying to do. So you, you end up fighting anybody that you talk to about defund the police. Uh, and then Nick's point was, but if we use any, anything other than that slogan, it gets co-opted. So it's, it's just a very challenging thing to do, if that makes sense, Tavi. No, I'm, I think you hit like all the right points. Um, again, at the end of the day, all of this goes back to money. And then people wonder, like, why do I focus so much on money? Because it all goes back to that. And I'm glad that you tied that in as well. And in reference to politics, I want to mention that you have people like Amy Klobuchar, right, who's a Democrat. Well, right. when you look at the senators who take the most money from the police, Amy Klobuchar is number two. You yes. have people like Joe Biden, who's he's a Democrat, but he's funded the police more than Donald Trump did. Yes. So it just this is why I, I really want people to not make policing a Democrat or a Republican issue. It really is. When you look back at it, it's all about money. You just heard like what Chuck Schumer said that they're not going to try to push forward any type of gun uh, legislation. Why yep. is that? Because they're all bought and paid for. Yep. And it just, it's, it's really sad. It's really disappointing. Like I said, like you're a teacher, right, Eric? Me? No, I'm not a teacher. No. <laughs> okay. That's the no. other Eric. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I know there are two Eric's, but um, I, I just feel bad. Like I talked to some of my friends who were teachers. They're just like, they don't even feel comfortable going back into school. Like they're like, one day it could be me. And that's the thing. It's like, this has become so frequent in our country that I think some people have just become numb to it. It's like oh, yeah. a, a regular thing. People are like, oh, there was another school shooting. Like it's not a big deal. And yeah. what I want people to understand when I lived in other countries, this was not an issue. That's right. But, and, and think about this, Abby, what you just said, we become numb to it, right? We, we have been becoming numb to seeing people begging for money on every corner of every street of every city in the country. It wasn't like that growing, at least for me. I mean, as I recall it, it wasn't like that when I was a kid and I lived in a big city here in the Bay area and you'd have to go to, deep into downtown to really see uh, the homeless, I guess you want to say. Uh, and and that goes back to all the programs, all the safety nets that were taken away initially by Reagan in the early 80s, where he took away the programs. And as the years went by, you had Clinton take away programs and many other, other Democrats take away programs that were part of the safety net of making sure that people were not going to fall off uh, from society, I guess you could say. <clears throat> this is all tied back into uh, everything that you see today with the way that people treat each other and they're so quick to kill one another with these weapons. <clears throat> there are so many guns. I remember growing up as in high school, the first time I saw somebody with a gun uh, was like probably like my, my last year of high school where I saw some guns coming into into the schools uh, but at the very beginning of my, my high school years, there was really no guns. There was no chance that anybody was going to get, uh, you know, somebody could have got stabbed, but it would have been very, you know, it wouldn't happen very much, if at all. You could get your, you could get your ass kicked, but, but, and that could happen. But you can live, you know, through that. And there were bullies and, and people would bully each other and, and whatnot. But you could live another day. You would not get killed. And there was no weapons. So people that were bullied were never going to say, well, I'm going to go kill these people. You're going to either go fight them or do something 
physically to defend yourself, but it, it would never escalate to that point. And what happens, just like with anything else, we copy each other. That's what human beings do. We see movies. We duplicate what we see in the movies. We duplicate what we see beyond our, ourselves. And that's what's happened with everyone who picks up a gun and ends up going to go shoot people because it's become so part of the, the culture that, you know, there's kids now growing up thinking that it's okay to do this. Uh, in other cultures, for instance, if you look at China, in China, you, you have very few people homeless because in their culture, they have it so that they save money, believe it or not. They actually say as, as little as they have, they save money. And they also don't leave people behind from their own families like we do here out in the street. So they have this built-in system where the parents take care of the kids, the kids take care of the parents when, when once they age, and they end up living with them you know, till death, basically, because the parents took care of the kids. Whereas here, we're so individualistic that as soon as you get to 18, you know, you're kicked out of the house. And then the cycle is your parents age and you put them in a home. And you kind of for, not forget mm -hmm. about them, but in a sense, diminish them. That also is part of our culture. That's probably not a good thing. We devalue humans as, as you age. Uh, and that's negative, right? We also right. devalue people based on their social economic status, their color, their skin. These are all things that we do and we accept them. Uh, and, and those are the things that we need to break the patterns of. So. No, you're, you're right. Thank you so much for calling in, Eric. I'm going to go to the uh, next caller really quick. Thank you, Savvy. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you very much. All right, Wraith, uh, you're going to be the next caller. And I want everyone to think about this as well. Um, something that Eric just mentioned about individualism and lack of community that we have in this country. And I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. We don't really have strong communities here in the United States. It's like if you talk to people that come from other countries. So some of my students were from India. And one of the things they used to always say to me is they're like coming to the United States for the first time. It's such a culture shock because in my country, you are with your family and your family's with you. There is a sense of community. And then you come to the United States and here I'm all on my own. I don't know my neighbors. Nobody wants to help. Nobody wants to assist anyone. It's just like, if I want to do something or accomplish something, I have to do it on my own. So I want you to think about that. And in reference to the police state here, because I do feel like that's one unit that we have in this country that they're very much together. Police officers, for the most part, will back each other, even if they know that their fellow officer is in the wrong. So I'm going to bring in uh, Wraith. So you are the next caller. Just got to hit unmute. Hey, can you hear me? I can. All right. Um, I just wanted. Uh, I I do um get what you're saying about the whole the individual thing, the uh individualism uh situation. Like I feel like that. Like I remember growing up. Like I'm only thirty, but I remember growing up. Like it used to be like real community. Like like next door neighbors. Like people would come together and eat and all of that and like help each other out. And now it's like, it's more of a, like, there's no, there's no more, uh, teamwork. It's more of, I got to do it by myself. And even I feel that way now, um, in my adulthood, like, it, it's strange. And then, uh, 
as far as like with the whole homeschooling thing, I honestly, if if that were an option, it would. Like I remember when I was the primary uh, caretaker for my nephew and like I had to go enroll him in school and all of that stuff. And like not even thinking about the times that uh, we're living in now, like I just took him to the school to go enroll him. And like, and I pulled the door and I couldn't get in. I'm like, what's going on? So they called out through the buzzer and they was like, yes, can I help you? And I'm like, I'm here to enroll my nephew. And the lady told me, she was like, oh, you're going to have to call and make an appointment. Like we don't take walk-ins. I was like, wait, this this isn't a hair salon. Like she was like, yeah, you have to call. And I was like, okay, fine. And like, it literally took me like two or three days to get him enrolled in the school because I had to work and like, I just had to leave him with my grandmother until I could get him into school. So like, I mean, the homeschooling, homeschooling thing, like if it was an option, like I would definitely do it. And then um, like with the whole policing situation, like I get how defund the police is just like, it's just that slogan that just, you just be like, wait, what? Hold up. Let's, let's not do that. But like when you look at the situation, like uh, I want to say it w- it had to be like less than two months ago the issue with the uh, the subway situation in New York, and then when you see the video footage of uh, what just happened down in Uvalde, how they're standing around, and then I even seen footage where they had detained the man and they had like drew a taser on him because these parents were just like they were ready to go to war to get into the building to save their kids while the police officers are standing around. Like when you see stuff like this, you can't help but to think, okay, maybe we should redirect some of that money to like social services and other types of social programs. And maybe we should invest in mental health. And like, it's like that, that stuff is just falling on deaf ears. And like, you know, what happened down there is really tragic because like, I, I honestly, I haven't, witnessed anything like that since Sandy Hook and I, I my fear is that nothing is going to change like Sandy Hook happened and then there was nothing and like this is going to happen and they won't even put forth gun legislation like we do got to get big money out of politics like they should be forced to vote like you shouldn't be able to filibuster your way and talk your way out of doing your job because if I go to work and I'm not doing my job chances of me getting fired are pretty high. Unlike them, they just keep getting reelected and reelected. Yep. And that goes back to holding politicians uh, accountable. So definitely well said case. I'm going to get you in here. If you have, uh, if you're free, but um, a case, you have kids as well. Like uh, how does this make you feel? Yeah. So I, I definitely um, have kids as well. And um, my wife has talked to me about, you know, homeschooling the kids and and if that's a a solution that we can do. And unfortunately, you know, I have two kids with special needs that have autism, so it's harder. It's a lot harder for us to do something like that. And I'm um, but it it is something that we've talked about. And she my, my wife, who she's part of the PTA, she's president of the PTA. So she has a lot of friends that are teachers. And she just talks them through Facebook and stuff. And she just, her heart breaks for them because they are scared to go to school and to, 
you know, uh, uh, this one of the solutions that Republicans or, you know, the right always say is, oh, we need to arm all the teachers. Like, no, that's not the answer to give all teachers guns. I'm sure they don't even want to have to hold a gun. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a tough situation to be in right now. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right, Raph, uh, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go ahead to Brent. He's the next caller. But, yeah, and I do want to speak like as someone who is a former educator, they don't train us for that. Um, and, and they definitely don't pay teachers enough to have to deal with that. They already want us to be a babysitter, a counselor and an educator. And I'll be damned if I was picking up a gun to try to like, <laughs> to try to also play cop. Like they, we don't know. They don't pay us enough for that. All right, Brent, um, you're the next caller. You just got to hit unmute. Can you hear me? I can. All right. Um, I love listening to Eric's points and even Wraith, you know, like it's, it's always fun. Um, I think, you know, I call it naivety or whatever, but I have a nine and seven year old, uh, two boys, you know, in elementary school. And I, I've never thought about elementary school or a homeschool scenario for one big reason to me. And I, I believe kind of like what you're discussing with community, like it's got to start somewhere. And I've got to hope that the kids can somehow, despite our culture over all these years, figure it out, you know, accept each other, build community, not break bonds. You know and I, um, I kind of was hoping, you know, like kind of in my naivety, I was discussing getting, getting my kids to an age before I'd have to discuss any of this type of stuff with them. And, they came home to me and my wife the other day, my nine-year-old, and he said, mom, what, what's the Texas shoot down? And we we're like, uh, and I told my, I looked at my wife and I go, this is exactly what I was worried about. And, you know, he's, he's talking to us and he's like, yeah, these, these two boys were saying that all these little kids got shot and, and that there was this man who, who came into the school and, you know, and this is like one week after they were locked down because a stranger was tapping on the glass at their school. And so there's kind of a lot of, a lot of, a lot around this topic. Right. And so I have to explain to them and, you know, I just told him, I said, I told my kids, I'd never lie to them. And I, you know, I, I told him, I said, unfortunately this stuff does happen. Um, and I, I told him, I said, I want you to tell me if you ever don't feel safe at school. But I said, I think school and your friends and your community is important. And I said, the other sad thing is this was, and he goes, yeah, I heard this guy might've had like some real like might've been hurt as a kid, you know? And I said, I go, I got to be honest with you. He's younger than your cousin. Who's 19. He is 18. And I, and they, he started to cry mm-hmm. and, um, still kind of troubles me today, but, um, needs to say like, there's some things to me and it's, I guess I kind of look at this, like, how, you know, how do the cops not go in to try to prevent whatever they can? I know it's not easy to say I might die, but I'm going to go, you know, that, that, level of, um, I don't know, heroics you'd say, or, or maybe in the line of duty, you know, whatever the, you know, you, you do sign up for that job. I know and that's a tough situation. Um, I don't want to compare it to like nine 11 with first responders running into the building to try to save people. But one of those things, I, I would say you probably have better odds than going into a, uh, going into a school with a lot of cops with guns against one gunman. than you do into a burning skyscraper. It looks like it's going to fall. Like I, I just, to me, the, I don't want to, you know, like get into some false frequency and all that stuff. But in the end, having that discussion with my kids and trying to convince them 
that I, you know, and I wasn't even trying to convince him that he's going to be safe, but just to have a safe space to talk about. It. And I told him, I was like, we can talk about this every day if you want, you know, but I said, please don't just take it, the word of the kids in school because I don't know what their parents are telling them, you know, a lot of stuff. And cause I, I don't want them to give up and be scared of people and all, you know, all that stuff that comes with this kind of culture, you know? That's a good but, point. And I, yeah, I wonder too, it's just, I just, I, I can only imagine how like, how like parents like you like are feeling right now. And I'm curious too, like, are your kids, are they afraid to go back to school or are they okay? Nope. They, they, he understood what I was telling him. And I, I said, I, I, I said, I don't, I don't have another, I don't have another answer for you, but we have to try, you know? And, um, and, you know, like I said, just continue to try to, you know, that's why I was telling, trying to tell my kids, like, lead with kindness. If someone's not nice to you, you don't have to hang out with them. You don't have to try to be their friend. But it's like, just be kind, walk away, move on. You know, like, not to be a pacifist or whatever, but at the same time, like, you, you got to build a community somehow. And, it, you know, if you're going to lead with, you know, bullying or violence or tearing people down or, you know, it's just not going to, it's not going to help long term, you know. And um, I don't know. I just kind of always, as my job, my job as a parent is like, I might've made some squirrely decisions or maybe my parents, you know, other people in our society or culture make some of these decisions that lead to these scenarios, you know, as a group, but we don't, we can try not to be the, that, you know, we can try to get more of us, I guess, you know, and um, it's not easy, but the other thing I was going to mention, not to like totally swing the other way, but I remember when I was in middle school in the middle, late eighties, and they remember they installed a cop in our school. And I even think for the life of me, I could not figure out why that was happening. We, we weren't in a, we weren't in a dangerous environment at all. Just in like some relatively small town in Oregon. It's nothing really ever eventful happened there. Like, so I was like, why, why do we have cops? And someone said, well, there's gang activity in town. And I was like, yes. And none of us are involved. <laughs> You're like, why is there a cop here? And I, I noticed like from there, I always felt like for the rest of middle school and high school, tension only got worse between students. And I've never, I, don't, I mean, I have no idea why, but I just, I always, I've always had that feeling my whole life. Um, yeah. But anyway. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, cops like invoke fear in people. Like you see police officers, like yeah. all of a sudden you have a cop in your school and you didn't have police officers there before. It's like. Uh, it can make people fearful. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I, I, I definitely hear you. I'm going to go ahead to the next caller, yeah. which is Eric. Thanks so much for calling in, yeah. Brent. Yeah. All right, Eric, you are the next caller. Hey, everybody. Um, yeah, I just want to say, um, as a teacher myself, um, just want to just just want to i guess i just want to say something to all the parents um the, first, first things first as a teacher i'm entirely uncomfortable with the whole gun thing like us us having guns in the classroom heaven forbid you know some kid finds it mhm um and and you know, this this gets back to 
again, these the police show they can't protect you. And as, as you see, you see more educators leaving, and you see there aren't. A, there's always going to be a shortage. The shortage is even worse than it's ever been. At, at this point, I'm even going to tell you, you're better off homeschooling. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things I thought about. Like, it's it's just like, that's what I was going to ask too. So um, you're the Eric that's the teacher. Because I know there's an, the other yeah. Eric called in. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you, like, how does this make you feel? Because I'm sure this isn't the first school shooting you've heard about. But seeing this happen again, like as a teacher, when you're physically going back into the building, how does this make you feel? Oh, it, it especially makes me feel like, um, uh, fucking horrible. Um, and yeah, I remember I'm in Florida. So, so yeah, people are stupid here with guns too. So my classroom is actually, let's say a shooter were to get in is actually one of the first classes. So, so yeah, that thought comes across my mind. I still remember after Columbine happened, and obviously I was a student at that time, but after Columbine happened, I had like anxiety for like a month, just like going to school. And it's just, it like, people shouldn't feel that way. Like kids shouldn't have to worry about this. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely... It's, it's atrocious and, and the question I want to pose to people as well why do you feel that other countries don't seem to have this issue the way that we do and that's not to say that they've never had to deal with mass shootings but why do you feel that they don't have as many of them as we do and this includes countries that where they have guns just like we do not only that but I want to know how much does these teachers get paid compared to cops, right? So you have these two teachers that sacrifice their life protecting their their students who pretty much, and Eric, you could tell me, um, they become your children to a certain extent. Like the, the amount of time they are with you over time is like they're part of almost your family. You feel for them, which is why I can imagine these teachers wanted to protect their kids because they see them almost as their own kids. And they're getting paid thirty five thousand a year, while cops are getting paid seventy or six figures a year. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and um, and in case that and in case touching on this point is effectively touching on this point, it's a it really goes down to how society prioritizes things. It's like, okay, so you're clearly showing us that you don't value education that much. And speaking of that, how how exa- what exactly does it mean for one to be educated? Mm. It, it well, I was going to jump in really quick, Eric. One of my students told me that honestly, they could have saved their money because everything that they've learned, they also could have just learned by Google. <sighs> One of my students told me that, and I was like, "What?" And they were just like, "I could have Google just all of this. I can Google all of this." That's embarrassing. Yeah, I know. I was just like, well, damn. 
Why are you, you know paying seventy five thousand dollars a year to go here? <laughs> Sab, I really think the future is um, getting educated through YouTube. I mean, because honestly, I've me personally, I've learned a lot of computer programming, and I, I go to YouTube consist consistently. Um, when it comes to learning different things. As a matter of fact, I wish I had it when I was in college because I had, a, for example, accounting. I had accounting in college and the teacher could not teach for n- nothing. And I'm sure I could go on, on YouTube, find a teacher that I like and like their mono- their tone and they are able to explain and articulate the issues. I think that's probably where we're going in the future, especially since YouTube is free for the most part. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, Eric, thanks so much for calling, and we'll go to the next caller. I appreciate it. Cool. All right, the next caller is Give MT. I can't see the full thing on here, but you're the next caller. How do you feel about this, considering what we've seen happen with the police officers in Texas? Should we defund the police? How do you feel about that? Hey, Savvy. Hey, Case, can you guys hear me? Yep. Yep. Great. Uh, yeah, this is just, it's like a fucking shit show. Uh, but, you know, it's, of all places, Texas, it's like, you know, isn't that that terrible, like, uh, tourist bullshit motto, don't mess with Texas? Don't mess with Texas unless they're fucking cops and you can fucking mess with them, apparently. You know, mm-hmm. it's like... Like, they won't do shit if your kids are getting shot. Like, I don't, like, I thought it was bad enough that they're out there shooting people, like, harassing people of color. And and it's like, I don't, I'm sure many people on, you know, they're listening, they've been harassed by the police. I've had it. Like, I was just chilling one time in my hometown and, just had my parked car waiting for my uh, my cousin to get off work, and this fucking cop walks around multiple times staring at me like I'm uh, about to steal something, and then a co- two cop cars block me, and they start questioning me, asking if I have marijuana. We smell marijuana, and I'm like, I thought they were gonna about to plant drugs on me or some shit, but fortunately nothing happened. But ever since then, I'm like, I can't deal with like anytime I see cops, I like, I need to get the fuck out of here. I don't want to deal with them. Like they're not, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to protect you. They're going to harass you. They're going to bully you. There's, there's no reason they shouldn't be defunded. And I, I like, I can't stand by any Democrat cause they're not going to do jack fucking shit. And many of the, the, the Democrat voters, I'm like, I'm like half my family is they're all Democrat voters. And I tell them like, why are you voting for them? They did nothing for fucking Flint. They not, did like, BLM formed under Obama, and then you're just going to keep voting Democrat? What the fuck are they going to do? They haven't done shit. Like, why do we have, like, we, there's no purpose other than, like, it's systematic control. It's, they're just there to bully, harass, and kill. And then if it's their lives, they hide, like, put their heads in the sand. Like, if you don't, like, there's no reason to defund. I, I mean, there is a complete reason to defund. Like, and you know, like I worry that like, I mean, I want to have kids. Like, but like, I fear like the way, like my parents are feeling like if I have kids, I'm going to like, how am I going to like protect my kid? Am I going to like 
put them in a little backpack and take them to school myself and be there the whole time to protect them. It's like, I can't do that. It's like, I don't even, I don't see why like, if I lost my kid that way, like, I don't know. I'd lose my mind, like completely lose my mind. Like I'm surprised there's not parents out there. Molotov cocktailing shit. Like after how many times this has happened. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's well said. Um, you know, I had this discussion with Adolph Reed the other day, and actually that that was not one of the topics I had written down to discuss with him, but he brought it up about defunding the police. And I think there's a big generational divide on this issue. I had the same discussion with Garland Nixon um, and Nick, who's socialist MMA, came on with Garland Nixon and, you know, gave him his his information about 10 demands and things like that. And I don't know, man, I have a really difficult time getting them to try to budge or see where we're coming from. But when people talk about, well, the crime rate has increased and people are getting robbed again, that all goes back to the poverty issue. Like, why are we trying to fix poverty? Like why, you know, maybe instead of donating a hundred million dollars to like Bernie Sanders, maybe we should put that money into poor communities and fix the poverty issue. And then the crime, the crime rate will automatically decrease. People keep talking about the crime rate increasing in Chicago and how there's a lot of like issues there with gun violence. Okay. But where are the people living? Like, why would someone need to rob someone? Why would someone need to steal food? Like it's a poverty issue. And I just feel like it makes me sick to my stomach when I see so much money go into all these different organizations. Like tonight, Zineb was talking about all the money that went into like millions of dollars that went into middle seat. Like we could take that money and put that money into poor communities and get those people out of poverty, but we can't because people keep donating money to these, these Democrat and Republican politicians instead of helping people in our community. Yeah, totally. It's, that's where the money should be spent. It's like, how else are you going to prevent it? It's like, especially like people don't like when, with Flint being like ignored, it's like how many people were poisoned with lead. And it's like, I tell people it's like it's not like some Flint was one thing, but it's like the the amount of lead and cadmium that's been found in violent prisoners is definitely not something you can ignore. And these two ele- these two chemicals can influence violent behavior. Like I, I work, I do science. Like I've looked at these kind of articles. It's not on. It's not unheard of when it comes to metals to affect your mind. It's like the same reason when we saw this decline in violent crime since what was it? I think it was since the 70s, I believe. And that was when uh, lead was removed from gasoline. It's suspected that the lead removed from gasoline because of the, the way that lead, organic lead is toxic, uh, that that was one of the prime reasons that violent crime decreases because people's brains weren't as messed up and that's why people are getting smarter because there's less contamination from uh leaded gasoline and obviously yeah we're kind of going back and forth different chemicals like in lead like i mean like in flint but it's a mess we got to help the people especially those in poverty we need to like like proper housing proper piping you know it's like they need people need to be fed they need to be taught new skills you know people that i mean all people should learn these other skills like with the community gardens was mentioned and 
you know, I completely agree with you with Adolf Reed. Like, you t- completely stumped him when you brought up those 10 points, but then he wanted to be like, oh, well, this first point, that just kind of kills it for me. I'm just like, this, you can't, you can't, you can't let, like, you can't let the, uh, uh, no, this, this phrase is not good enough. You say, if you said reform to anybody, like, they've said reform for, like, decades. And guess what happened? It never happens. So defund the police is the phrase. Fucking get over it. We're going with it, with or without you. Mm, that's like that U2 song, with or without you. Thank you so much for calling in, Give em Tea. Thanks, Abby. All righty. I'm going to go to the next caller, and that is Frank. So you're on the mic. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello, Frank. I can. Hi. Okay. Uh, um, I, 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 I want to bring up another part of why we should defund the police is that they're the protectors of the corruption of that, that has been such, um, does such destruction to our society. I, I've gone to pro- more than 20 cops and asked them to their faces, um, what, what have you done about the bribes um, to any of the politicians, whether at the state or the city levels? And um, I've got some really bad responses from all of them. <laughs> and uh, um, one, I asked a, a district one commander for Denver. Um, I asked him that question and his, he was the number three guy in, in the Denver police force. And he, his response, well, well, you'd have to bring that up with a detective. Like I'm talking to the detectives, boss of boss, <laughs> but they don't do anything. Another time I, I asked him, a suburban Lakewood uh, uh, police officer, and he was on duty, had his full uh, death belt on and everything. And, and he, his, his, his response was, I'm just here to socialize. And, and it, it's, and it goes up to the attorney general and, um, and, and the DAs and they are, they're bribed here in Colorado. And I, 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 I have proof of that. I know 13% of uh, the attorney general's, um, paycheck actually comes from corporate fees or regulate from the, to the regulatory agency. So he, he's not going to do anything against corporations. He's going to continue to take more money. And I actually, and I, I did a, uh, about 400 uh, records requests to do an investigation on the ketamine that went on here. I actually did more than the attorney general's office. And um, I just asked the, the attorney general because they indicted um, the two cops and two paramedics that were um, that killed Elijah McClain, but they didn't do anything about um, the doctor that gave the paramedics the permission to use the ketamine under his medical license. And he signed a waiver uh, for waiver of law because they're not paramedics are legally not allowed to use ketamine. So, um, so he signed a waiver of law under the condition that his license would be probably taken away if he did not supervise and train. Well, he didn't do that. So I've asked the attorney general, um, what investigations did he do on the doctor? Um, and, and that gave the permissions to the paramedics, but he, you know, it's a class issue. He went after the paramedics and the cops, which I don't have any problems with, but he needs to go after the, the much wealthier doctor and, the response I got today, this afternoon, 
was that would cost $800, which means it would cost, it, it, they're saying it would take more than 24 days just to, to, to find those records when the reality is he never did the, never did an investigation on the doctor. So I've got to sue the attorney general because this guy doesn't do his job. So, it, I mean, there, there's more than one reason to defund the police. They, you know, they don't keep us safe and they help destroy our They protect um, uh, so much of the destruction of our society, which is causing the mass homelessness and, and um, other societal problems because uh, we don't bankers and realtors and appraisers and so on and architects and contractors are not regulated. <laughs> it's it's uh um, and it, mm. the attorney general protects that lack of regulation. So um, I just wanted to add that. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Frank. Okay. All right. I'm going to go to the next caller, which is Omar. Um, I do want to add something really quick. I think that when it comes to the police state and I, I call it the police state, cause that's how I feel that they operate in a sense. Um, you know, there are some positions that we can actually vote on when it comes to police. Like, for example, in most places, and I say most because I was just informed that uh, Nina Turner and Chantel Brown's district, uh, their sheriff, or for whatever reason, was not voted in. I don't know. There's more details about that. But I was explained that by um, an activist that came on my show that lives in that district. But certain positions when it comes to law enforcement, we can actually vote on. Uh, sheriff is one of them. These are some positions that I think some people just don't pay attention to sometimes when they go to vote and they just pay more attention to the larger roles per se. But it's also important for you to pay attention to who's running for attorney general. Um, we talked about Merrick Garland tonight on my show. He's uh, horrible. Um, and there will be a protest Sunday uh, for him at Harvard University's graduation. So I don't know if everyone caught the stream tonight but an activist came on at the beginning and they are doing an activist, um, a protest event at Harvard's graduation. And he is the speaker. So they are going to protest while he's speaking. So that should be really interesting. Um, Omar, I'm going to go ahead and bring you on. So you just have to hit unmute. Sabby Sabs. Hello. Hello. Um Good to talk to you again. Um, I have a toddler who goes to school, and this really upset me. Um, and it's just like, it just convinces me more and more that this country, this culture is sick. Um, I mean, I, you know, how do you explain that to your kids? Um, like I have a friend who had a five-year-old year. She was years, years ago, she was five and they walked by a homeless person. There are a lot of homeless people here where I live. And her kid asked her like, why is this person sleeping outside? And her mom just didn't want to give her a straight answer, wanted to protect her. And I mean, that's not my approach, but I think like these, some of these things are really hard to explain because then you have to get, they're so deep. You have to get into history. And I think that's why we need like a panel of like uh, historians like Gerald Horn, um, like uh, Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, who focuses on Native American history um, in the States. Um, we need Chris Hedges too. Like they've written stuff, they've talked about and written 
about how this this violent culture that we have is very uniquely American because it's tied to settler colonialism and the genocide and ethnic cleansing that happened with Native Americans. I'm, I'm part Native American. Um, and the slavery that, like, you know, enriched this country. So, like, on stolen land, built by stolen people. And you have all the, you know, the, the history that ties to slave patrols of, of the police. Um, like, you have just this paranoia uh, and this fear of people uh, that, that these abused people are going to rise up and do to them what they did to them. It's just like in the collective consciousness um, of people, like people just like go jogging with guns. They like, they're just, I've never, like, I mean, I'm from, you know, like I emigrated here, but there's just so much paranoia, so much paranoia that like pervades this, this society. And like, I, it just makes me want to leave this country because the, the issues are so deep and there's an, there's just enough people that believe in like American that have like these chauvinist American views of like, Oh, it's so great here. Um, you know, this is number one country in the world when we have so much suffering here in the richest country on earth, like you look at other countries like their medical system like is either paid for or they have no deductibles and no yep. and no um deductibles and copays um so there's no there's like a safety net there like university is like free in some countries and here like you just go into debt like it's a vampiric system that preys on on the poor um and just and just transfers that wealth to like the already wealthy, and so it's just such a deep, deep like issue. Like along with what that other guy was saying about individualism, like there's just no sense of community. Like in Mexico, like the neighbors knew each other. They they like knew like the kids, like everybody's kids. Like everybody knew each other's names. They knew each other's kids. And so, like, if kids were playing out on the street, um, there wasn't as much danger because there was a, a network of people that kind of were looking out for them. Like, they knew, oh, that's my neighbor's kid. That's, like, little mm-hmm. Felipe or whatever. And here you don't have that. And that makes anonymity makes it more dangerous. Like, that, that much more anonymity just makes people disconnected enough. Like, all these bad things can happen. And it's just... I mean, yeah, like, I don't, I don't mean to be such a downer, but it is just, it goes really deep. And I think, like, I, I, I know you've had Gerald Horn on in, in RBN, um, but it would be great to have, like, a panel of, of him and Chris Hedges and Roxanne Dunbar or these to, like, talk about this. <laughs> it's just, I, yeah. I would love to get Chris Hedges on. I have to get an introduction, though. Like, some people yeah. require an introduction before they'll come on. So, yeah, I'm still working on yeah. that. <laughs> Some you, of the people want to be like, oh, yeah, sorry. Chris Hedges, like, I just wanna, uh, you're, you're like Nader, a couple who... of degrees. Yeah, you're a couple of degrees connected away from him. Like uh, Katie Helper uh, knows, like has had him on. Like you can probably get connected through her. Um, yeah, it's 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 that's a time for another conversation.
Yeah, but like yeah, it's yeah. it's tricky. It's tricky. But thank you so much, Omar. Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and take thank the next you. caller. Um, in case I want to bring you in here uh, too, because when we talk about like the police state, now case you're in New York. Can you explain to people? I don't know if you remember where exactly you are, like in the area, but you're familiar probably with stop and frisk, right? Can you explain to people like how, like to me, when I think about stop and frisk, like that's something I felt like that number one, that should have been illegal. Uh, Number two, (laughs) that also just heightens like fear of the police state. Yeah. So thankfully I'm in New Jersey, even though I'm born and raised in New York and um, I've never uh, lived in, I've never had to deal with, um, Stop it first, thankfully, but um, yeah, I could imagine it being a very traumatizing event, and uh, you know, I'm definitely familiar with uh, p- you know, people who have been stopped and frisked and, and hearing the different stories, and just being you know, the type of kids that they put in handcuffs, you know, kids as, as young as 10, you know, 10 and up, or they have no discretion because unfortunately, there's a study that shows. That when when they look at our young black minority children, you can add five years to that. You know, so let's say you have a child that's ten, they look at them as a fifteen year old. You know, and it's just a, a very uh, traumatizing event. But thankfully, me personally, I don't have uh, any experience with it. Uh, Sabrina, you're on mute. I don't know if you're talking right now. Whoops, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you think the the kids in the school, because this question came up tonight in the live chat, do you think that the reason the police officers didn't rush to help the kids in that school was because the kids weren't white? Huh, that's a good question. Well, we, we got part of the answer was the cops that did go in it was because their own children <laughs> were in danger and they literally went in and got their own children out and then that's it so uh, i think they a lot of times um it's just a matter they can't relate to the 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 kids that's in there so whether it's the them being white you know a minority that that also happens in other areas where um we saw the shooting that happened recently where the the shooter was taken without being shot you know, while we have other people who are unarmed, we have black people who are unarmed getting shot. So I think it's, it's a matter of they can't relate to another race, right? So if they're white and they're going into a place where there's a whole bunch of black people, a whole bunch of Hispanics, they're not going to be able to relate and say, oh, that's my child or that's somebody that I can relate to. That could be one of my family members. They just see them as the other. So that's what I think it is. Yeah. And that goes back to something that I want to mention to people about police actually living in the communities that they, uh, they serve Mm -hmm. in, because that's a big part of the problem. Like, right. So like my parents, they grew up in Baltimore and my grandparents lived there as well. So I lived there for a short period. But one of the things I noticed is that the police that would come into Baltimore city to police the neighborhood, they didn't live there. So they didn't know the people in the community. So if they saw Mr. Williams standing on the corner acting a little strange, they didn't know that Mr. Williams was a a vet from Vietnam who had PTSD. They just saw him as someone as suspicious 
and found a reason to harass him. Now, if you have PTSD, you know how some of the people that have been to Vietnam, they have like traumatizing events that have happened to them till this day. They, they still can't get over it. Right. So then that goes into another question about how we treat our veterans when they come back into this country. That's a whole nother subject, another time, but they don't understand that when they approach him the way that they do and they start to harass him, of course he's going to react because he doesn't understand what they're trying to do and they don't understand why he's behaving the way that he is. But if they actually lived in the community, they would know that Mr. Williams is not a threat. You see what I mean? Like this is why it's important that the police officers who are actually going into communities, they should live in those communities This is why you shouldn't have police officers coming into police neighborhoods in Boston, like Dorchester and Roxbury, and they live in West Roxbury. And for those who don't know, West Roxbury is like 99% white. So why would you send cops from West Roxbury to go in and police people in Roxbury, which is a predominantly black urban neighborhood? I'm going to go ahead and take the next caller, and that's Lance. So you're on the mic. Just got to unmute. Lance. Just got to unmute. There you go. I see you're unmuted. I can't hear your voice, though. Lance may be missing an action. I'm not sure. All I see is a ladybug. Okay. I'm going to go to, um, I'll try to say something, Lance. Nope. I can't hear you. I'm going to go to, um, I'll circle back. I'm going to go to the next caller, which is hashtag no war. Just got to unmute. Hey, Sabby. Uh, I wasn't going to call in tonight. Happy Friday. Hope you're enjoying a nice, uh, Massachusetts area IPA this evening, if you can, but um, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> um, no, I have a, um, a Mayflower Porter. Oh, there you go. Nice. Um, I wasn't going to call in tonight, but you guys were talking about Columbine, and I've kind of a, I grew up in Denver in the south suburbs. Uh, I was in eighth grade when Columbine happened. And, um, my middle school at the time, high school is ninth through 12th out here. I know it's different across the country, but I was in middle school at the time. Um, but my middle school, uh, which was K through eight at the time was, uh, like three miles from Columbine. And I happened to be on a field trip that day, uh, a museum here. And, um, we couldn't go back to the school to school because our school is on lockdown and like when a school is on lockdown you can't take kids from a field trip back into the school um so I don't know it, it just kind of hits all this stuff has always hit home for me I thought you know things might change after Columbine obviously nothing was done then I thought after Newtown when 20 uh 20 children even younger than these children, six and seven year olds in that case, were slaughtered, that something might happen. 
nothing happened nationally. We got a few things here in Colorado, like magazine restrictions and slightly better background checks, which is really minuscule and not going to fix the problem, especially when every state around us can uh, still allow you to buy whatever size magazine you want, especially like Wyoming and Utah. Um, So, I don't know. It's just nothing's going to happen this time. Nothing's going to be different. And it's just kind of the new normal. And back to, you know, seeing all these stories about the cops going and getting their kids and not doing anything. Supposedly 18 cops were inside in the hallway, didn't do anything. And this is one of the more egregious ones as far as the behavior of the law enforcement. Um, you can call them that. Um, so I, for a while, I, I uh, have supported defund the police and, and starting over again. And uh, I think as, as your, uh, as your uh, RBN compatriot says, they only solve 2% of crime. What yep. value do they serve? They don't, they don't solve crime. They don't prevent crime. Let's start over. Like, this is, they, all they did on Tuesday, or Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever day this week, doesn't matter, um, or prevent parents from going in. I got to say that one woman who they detained at first, the federal marshals did, and I can't remember her name, but they detained her. She knew one of the local cops. They spoke to them, got them got the marshals to release her as the story, as I understand it, goes. And then she goes around, jumps the fence, and goes and grabs her two kids. Mm. She's a hero, but why do we need heroes like that? Like, why do parents have to run in like that when we have cops? Their job is to protect and serve, not protect their own asses. And uh, I'm just sick of cops protecting their own asses and not doing what they're supposed to I hear you. Thank you so much, No War. Thanks so much for calling in. Thank you, Savvy. Have a good night. You too. I have something here I want to read to everyone about whether or not cops are supposed to protect you. And this is something that may uh, surprise some people. But this is from Barnes Law. So listen to this. This motto is consistent with the common belief that police officers as well as other law enforcement officers are here to protect us. After all, we are all taught to dial 911 when we need help. Subject to narrow exceptions, the United States Constitution does not require law enforcement officers to protect you from other people. I'm going to say that one more time. The United States Constitution does not require law enforcement officers to protect you from other people. That is according to the United States Supreme Court. This notion contradicts our ingrained perceptions, but it's still the law today. I'm going to go ahead and take the next caller, and that is Andrew. Hello, Sabby. Hello. Hi. I have a list of things. Uh, I made some notes. Um, so I'll just go down it. Um, I want to say that the, the CIA and the FBI and the people that they work with 
are the criminals. And it is the desired outcome to have these types of incidents like these shootings. And um, an example of, and I think that it all, like one of the things that I always look back on is when after the Bay of Pigs, JFK, uh, you know, was kind of set up so that he uh, was supposed to bring the Department of Defense into Cuba. And uh, then since he hadn't done that, then the CIA and the anti-Castro Cubans plotted to kill JFK. So, I mean, that really shows who's in control. The CIA is in control. And not only um, that, but they are also, you know, drug traffickers. So I think that the CIA is, is you know, notoriously and famously uh, involved in international du- drug trafficking and um, that, you know, we, um, their, their goal is to not for us to have an improved condition, but for our condition to be in a state of disorder and chaos. And, and um, I just wanted to put, put those thoughts out there. And I, I did find a book that um, I haven't actually read, although I did read the summary and it said that the it's about how the CIA is involved in um, global drug trade. And uh, so I linked it there. It says the history, um, some history uh, uh, department, Wisconsin came out with this book about um, the CIA being involved in the global drug trade. And so I just wanted to put that out there is that, you know, uh, this is the outcome that they want. This is the people who are really in control, the people who control the democracy. This is the shooting is, is by design. And I think that's everything that I have. Yeah, that's interesting because like there was something I was I was talking about this the other day. I think it was on RB. Yeah, it was on RBN. We were talking about um, the school shooting and I was explaining to people that there are people who actually want chaos because they believe that out of chaos will come obedience and order. And some people don't leave that. They're just like, oh, OK, whatever. That's not true. I'm like, no, like do your research. There are some people like I really have a difficult time you know, trying to figure out like why they haven't done something. And yes, a big part of it is the money. That's also a big issue. But at the same time, all of these years, you couldn't do anything for gun reform, nothing. It's just it. Again, I think they believe because look what's going to happen now. Now, this is another excuse for people like Joe Biden and other politicians to give the police more money. Next thing you know, it's going to get to a point where there's going to be police all over the place. They've already started doing that in New York City. They want they want order. That's what they want. And I don't yeah. think they really want us to live in a free society. I think they want obedience and order. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what they want. Because if they can find somebody who is out of control, who is disturbed, they can use them and have them try to kidnap 
the mayor of Michigan, like they have done to those uh, veterans who they paid to uh, try to kidnap the mayor of Michigan or that pedophile in Iceland who they paid to try to sabotage Julian Assange. If they put people in a condition where they're breaking the law, then they can use those people as tools. And that's what we've seen over and over again is that they've, you know, got created these types of environments in other countries and like the Nazis and paying the Nazis to be Nazis, paying the um, jihadists to be the jihadists in, in Iran. And, and that's like their job. They find people and they pay them to be disruptive. So, I mean, there's definitely people who are, are wanting this type of thing to happen and who, who acquire power through these types of problems. Agreed. Thank you so much for calling, Andrew. Yeah, I just remembered I wanted to talk about the FBI kidnapping, trying to kidnap the mayor. I was blows oh, my yeah, mind. Oh, yeah, go ahead. But, <laughs> oh, no, no, I just I had that on my list and I almost forgot it. So that's why I came back in. But, Sabby, I really I I really think that you are great at what you, what you do and uh, that it's easy for people to uh watch your show because you have such a great um, product. You have a great uh, show. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate that. Yeah, so all right. Have a good night. Thanks, you too. All right, guys, I'm going to go to the next Carla, which is Gary. And I do want to say something else, too, in reference to what Andrew was talking about with, like, CIA. You also have to remember the FBI. Like, they have infiltrators, too, you guys. I mean, look at what they did to the Black Panthers. They had infiltrators. They had people that they put in to make it seem like they were a part of the group so that they can give them information and so they could they could take these organizations down. Um, I don't know. That's why that's another thing with me, like, why I'm not big on organizations. Like, some of these organizations are shady. That's why, like, I never joined DSA, even though I was familiar with it. I was never a member. So I don't know. You just don't know these days. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Gary. You're now on the mic. Hey, what's going on, Sab? Hello. Hey, how's it going? Uh, so I, I, I um, like the point that you made when you talked about, um, or at least you referenced um, New York, as a New Yorker. Um, I've experienced stop and frisk. You know, I've been stopped and frisked multiple times for no reason. Like when the cops get just kind of create their own PC, they say that you fit the description. It's usually when they stop and frisk you, they just say like, I'm like, why are you doing this? They say, oh, well, you fit the description or whatever. But really, it's just that the more you kind of create an environment where cops are supposed to be cracking down in order to, quote unquote, keep the community safe, the cops basically have carte blanche to do whatever they want. And unfortunately, that carte blanche is usually acted out on, you know, people on, on black people and, and lower income communities. And I, I and I say that because just less than a decade ago, everyone was reading the book, The New Jim Crow, and seemed to have found religion on how reactionary kind of legislation um, in response to some, you know, great, you know, up, uptick in violence in the in any community um, is now considered a bad idea because it has unintended consequences. But it seems like we haven't learned that lesson. We were talking about it 
but now it seems like every time there's, a, there's violence, everyone's in kind of knee-jerk response is to try to figure out what new laws to pass and what new crimes to create. And I'm just like, are we, try, are we literally going backwards and trying to create a, a crime bill 2.0? You know, yeah, and it, yeah. ironically, Biden's our president. And I just, I'm listening to the left, and, and it seems like they're literally obsessed with crime bill 2.0. They're not calling it that. They're just calling it, you know, common sense gun reform. But it, it just sounds like it's euphemism for a new crime bill. That, like I said, I think we all uh, sort of found religion on how mass incarceration typically is what comes from creating more laws that create more crimes without actually solving a real problem because these problems are socially created and not and not in caused by a lack of laws. Um, and so that's the thing. It's like when we pass more laws that create more criminals, are we solving problems or are we creating problems? Um, exactly. Uh, it's just uh, another way to like feed the prison system. I think that's what I'm saying. It's like if we pass more gun laws, it's like the gun laws aren't new laws aren't meant for criminals because criminals have already broken laws that exist. So who are new laws for? New laws are for people who don't break, who, who haven't broken any laws. You know, so like, oh, we got to catch it. We got to cast, cast a wider net. You know what I mean? So maybe we won't stop all the bad guys, but let's, let's at least throw a few, a few extra thousand people a year in prison. Then we can say, at least we've done something. Oh, these new, these new, um, you know, like the amount of ammo you have or these new mandatory lock, lock, you know, those like administration um, laws around gun, uh, around gun handling. You can say, Oh, I, I find, you know, an extra thousand, extra 10,000 people. I found that I find them and how they've handled their guns or how many bullets they've had. Oh my goodness. Aren't we doing a great job? Meanwhile, you're not, you haven't stopped a single actual criminal. You're just harassing law abiding citizens and getting your racking your numbers up because you've created these new fancy laws and more bureaucracy that's doing things that's not helping anyone. Um, and I just feel like creating, uh, we're feeding the police state. It's not just feeding the prisons and the police state and law enforcement's ability to harass people and fine people is something that is fed through these laws and the, the paranoia that kind of undergirds the desire to create these laws. And I just get concerned that sometimes, well, as I'm not, I'm not sure if it's a left or right thing, but I just think in the, anyone who's using the term safety, um, oftentimes is being very reactionary and um, kind of not That's coming a from point. a rational place. Um, and so we just need to, when we're talking about safety and talking about, oh, safetyism, we need to keep people safe. We need to take a step back and actually have a rational discussion about what keeping people safe actually means. Because I guarantee you more background checks and more uh, any of this stuff, that's not going to keep anyone safe. I mean, the, like, your last call actually talked about, uh, you know, a lot of the more institutional uh, connections to, you know, black markets that we have. You know, obviously we know the story of Freeway Ricky Ross, who was, uh, directly involved with, you know, government-run um, drug and, and, and gun trafficking between Latin America and America. So it's like people are acting like, you know, they control the flow of guns when actually guns is a big business that's sort of, you know, that, that's a bigger issue than, than just, oh, all we have to do is pass some laws and all of a sudden no one's going to have guns anymore. 
It's like yeah, gun, gun control is a bigger issue that, that I think people don't really want to have a fulsome conversation about. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Gary. Okay. Thank you. All right, guys, I'm about to wrap up in a sec, but I do want to go ahead and um, take these last calls. Um, Lance, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. How do you feel about this whole situation with the school shooting in Texas and defunding the police? By the way, guys, defunding the police was trending again yesterday on Twitter because of the situation. So, Lance, I can see you unmuted, but I can't hear you. It might be a connection thing. Or maybe you have headphones in. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll come back if I have time. Um, let me go to C. You're on the mic. Just got to unmute. Hey, Savvy. Thanks for taking my call. Hello. I'm calling from uh, Oakland, California. And uh, anybody who's uh, lived around here long enough knows that uh, um, the police don't stop crime. They don't prevent crime. They don't solve crimes really all that often. And they don't uh, uh, they don't protect people. They protect property. You know, um, yeah, Oakland's kind of a little bit of a riot happy city. So a lot of times when, uh, um, you know, like an unarmed um, black guy gets shot, you know, we'll we'll have a riot here in Oakland. And uh, uh, the police never protect the neighborhoods. They never protect the uh, black and brown businesses. They always go to downtown. Yep. Where the fancy businesses are. We saw that with the Ferguson riots, too. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not saying I know. Yeah, I'm just saying just like for people like me that have lived here in the Bay Area. You know, pretty much most of my life, you know, since I was 15, um, we've just seen this over and over again. So it's like it's been kind of like a, a well-known truth to anybody that has eyeballs and has been on the street long enough that you just know that they're not there to protect you. And they're not there to stop crime because the more of them that are present, crime doesn't go down. So to the defund the police, which I I hate that phrase because I, I think like everything, Democrats and liberals, and they're just the worst at, at um uh, coming up with taglines and slogans. It's just, it's just horrible. Cause really what we're talking about is we're talking about demilitarizing the police and reallocating much of those funds that are increased to certain areas vis-a-vis like say there's a crime spike in this area. So they're okay. We got to get more police into that area. It's like, no, there's logic. There's more likely other type of systemic societal issues that are going on in that area. You know, oftentimes the, yeah. the schools are not properly funded. There's no after, you know, school programs, there's no, you know, there's no quality education resources, stuff like that. People are redlined out of the good neighborhoods. You know what I'm saying? It's like yep. there's there's so many other systemic issues that they could be addressing, helping people get jobs, helping people get better education, helping people be able to be fed and housed. You know what I mean? Addressing the homeless situation. It's more often than not, rather than putting more police in the area, putting more affordable housing and more uh, 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 temporary housing for homeless will probably decrease the crime more than just throwing more police in the area. Yep. You know, um, so that's to me, I think that's 
defund the police kind of is it's just it's too 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 small and doesn't really encapsulate really what I think I think we all kind of see when we really look at the the kind of the holistic picture you know what I mean so that, I think that's the thing that really kind of bothers me about this it's just like it's an either or thing right now it's either like don't take my guns or we got to take all the guns or we got we need more police <laughs> or, no, we need to get rid of the police and I'm like no fuck you I need you know what I mean these people need you know, uh, better lives. They, they need higher wages. They need health care. They need fucking mental health access. You know what I mean? Like we, 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 we could solve so much more crime and ameliorate so many uh, uh, inequities that lead people to do these kind of things. If we were to invest that same amount of money that they want to continue to pump into the police and, and, and to further kind of militarize them, then you know what I mean? I don't see this, the statistics bear this out. No matter which way you crunch the numbers, you, you can't hide the fact that more police doesn't lead to less crime or more crime solved or more people protected. Right, right. No, I, I, I definitely hear you. It's like, isn't it embarrassing that we live in like the wealthiest country in the world and they don't even want to take care of, they don't even give the people basic necessities such as like healthcare. Mm-hmm. And you can go to other countries that are nowhere near as wealthy as the United States and everyone has healthcare. It's, it's sad. And, 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 and to think that like, cause I mean, a lot of times people do these crazy, not all the time. I, just, I know it's not just bad to paint with the broad brush, but oftentimes, you know, this stuff comes out of a, a, a long-term systemic class issues. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. keeping people, uh, uh, you know, black and brown people, whatnot out of the system and, and, and favoring, you know, other things over, you know, that just, just legacy shit and stuff like that. That's like people, they don't think of it as they're being racist because it's just how it's been for so many fucking decades. You know what I'm saying? So they yeah. go, of course I'm not racist. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I need to be more woke. And da, da, da. like, so they, they reflexively kind of uh, push back against stuff when you sit there and you can kind of go, no, no, look, this is, this is the statistics. You look in these, uh, I forget which, um, uh, uh, police, what was it? What's, where was he? The police chief at? I forget. God damn it. Which major city he was in like Baltimore or something like that. And he went back there a couple decades after he retired and saw that like everything was exactly the same. Yeah. That sounds like Baltimore. Yeah. They were, they were, they were, but they they were replacing the same neighborhoods and running into people from, uh, 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 further generations down. And like, he was just noticing this, like we've been doing the same thing since back when I was police chief in the seventies and eighties and, and shit hasn't changed. There's still the same rate of crime and, and drug use and all that kind of stuff like that. So he, he kind of came to the point that he's saying this like, this isn't working. If we've been doing this for decades on decades on decades, and we just keep adding more police. But yet here we are on the same streets, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, arresting the same peoples and just keeping them, you know, perpetually locked in the system. Because quite frankly, you're not worth anything living in a project, but you are worth something to the state in the prison. Yeah, where they can get where they can get uh, a labor out of you, fucking slave labor, basically. And they can <laughs> and then all these other the privatization of the uh, carceral state has has led to uh, um, a lot of profit being there. I mean, I think most states, I think where I'm at, California is like at least fifty five thousand dollars. You know, you're worth to private contractors just being in a prison because the, the food and, the, and all the meals and all the stuff that they do now as a service. Uh, um means that, you know, on the street, you're not worth anything to corporate America. But in a prison, yeah. now all of a sudden you're worth at least 55 grand to them a year. 
<laughs> and it's no surprise that when we privatized prisons, the prison population exploded. So I, I, I just get frustrated when we just kind of just either like, you know, take the guns away or no, let's have more guns or more police, less police. I just, I, I just, I feel like we're, we're all getting lost in the, in the, 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 the black and blue, uh, red and red, you know, uh, black and white, sorry, <laughs> red and blue kind of sauce. And, and it just bums me out of that. that I, 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 you feel that, you know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're often talking past each other and we're not really talking about the, the real root causes of these things that are decades. Right. Old. Right. And it's because a lot of times we're divided over left versus right. So we can't, this is why a lot of people don't focus so much on the class issue because we're polarized by Democrat and Republican. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for that, like, say we were like, I don't know, say we were like UK, we had like six parties. They might have more than that now, but we may have more, we may have less of a divide, right? If we had like six parties, six parties that where people can win in, and here it's just like everything here is political. Everything yeah. is, is red and blue. And it's like, you have to pick a side. And if you can't decide if you're like an independent or you don't care, then people just kind of, you're just kind of dismissed, but the majority of Americans don't vote. And yeah. I that's think, the, that's the bigger part. Yeah. I think we need to reach the people who were not voters. I think we do. And I would really like to hear from those people. And I mean, I know a lot of us like, you know, supported Bernie and stuff like that. But I would like to hear from people that just never participated in electoral politics ever. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know many of them. I, the, the, many of my family and friends that that they fucking literally just every time I start <laughs> talking about politics, just like roll in the eyes and shut the fuck up, you know, put the game, <laughs> on, put the game on or something like that. You know, you know, uh, it, it, so it, it, it is very frustrating uh, um, and a lot of times too, when you say something, they immediately go, Oh, that's that, that's that MSNBC talking point or, Oh, that's that Fox news talking point. I'm like, you guys no, I don't watch either one of those fucking things. What are you talking about? But it's just, they just ascribe that. Yeah. That very, uh, binary worldview, you know, uh, uh, um, are you for third party? Oh my God. Absolutely. Yes. Like yeah, I think if people good. are going to run, like, I prefer to do 80% direct action, mutual aid, 20% electoral politics. But I think when it comes mm. to electoral politics, you need to do third party or independent. And I also think there should be heavier focus on the local level instead of the federal level. Because in DC, yeah. like that's the thing I want people to understand in DC, they don't pass anything that doesn't have corporate interests. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. There's just, there's just too many of them at all, all the levels. Uh, up and down the ladder, both Democrat and Republican, that at the end of the day, they always serve the corporate oligarchs over us. And, yep. and so, yeah, stalling people that we can at any all those levels is important. But the thing that I is very dis, uh, uh, frustrating is the stupid constant thing. Oh, well, a third party can't win. It's like, we don't, we don't fucking need the third party to be able to win. You just need yeah. five, five for ten, five to 10 percent of the vote. And then either side can't work, win. Without your, you know, uh, coming on a board, it's like that's it. Like yep. people don't understand that. They're like, you don't have to get fifty-one percent. You probably just need five percent because there's most of these elections are never decided beyond that spread. So if you can pu pull a solid five percent, you also get on the debate stage, which is yep. I don't like the green. I don't like the Green Party, but I've been voting for the Greens since uh, uh, oof, twenty twelve as the last time. Yeah, two thousand eight was the last time I voted for a Democrat. I couldn't. Couldn't do it in any beyond uh, 
going to be on my first voting for Obama. And after that, I was fucking done voting for Democrat. But I've always voted green, because not because I necessarily would want the Greens to win, because I, I think they're pretty feckless and ineffectual, uh, but because I want them on the fucking debate stage to bring yep. up these other these other things that never get brought up on the debate stage without somebody from the, you know, the quote unquote left up there. And so I just like that's why I just keep telling everybody that it's always kind of dismayed and go, oh, yeah, I would vote for a third party, but they'll never win. It's like, fuck you. You know, you don't need to win to win. And so I really like what I like, you know, I hope that more people can get that, because if, if you do want more gun control or you do want to, quote unquote, defund the police and stuff like that, like you were saying, more local. It's probably where you're going to get a lot more of that action than trying to be just focused on, you know, the House and the Senate. Yep. Nope. You're right. Thank you so much for calling in. See, I'm going to move to the next caller. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks. All right. um, Lance, we're going to try this one more time and then I'll go back to case and then I'll wrap up. Yeah. Case, somehow you became a caller. I don't know what I did. Maybe it was me. I don't know. Excuse me. Please tell me you can hear me. I can hear you now. Yay. Yay. You're my fave, man. I mean, truly, you are the best for a lot of, you know, just professional reasons, not just because of, uh, you know, but anyway, okay, quick points. I'll speak succinctly and quickly. It's the end of the night. Cointel Pro. By the mid like you said, Seb, I was kind of disillusioned. I worked for Nyford. They were great. I was pretty disillusioned by like groups and movements on the left and all that. Uh, in the mid eighties, some freshman in college, I was pushing 30, I think, asked me to get involved in the anti-apartheid thing. I said, sure. We had a couple dozen people in what was called the commie cafe. This guy gave all the proceeds to uh, the Central America where you still met a lot of people who go down there, fight against the death squads, fight against the Contras, you know, the good, fighting for the good guys. And he, so we had the meeting there, a couple dozen people who pretty much all knew each other. That was cool. Once it got public, we well, it was an encampment for a couple of weeks at Syracuse University, and it was wonderful. And so, but it was a de rigueur. Cointel Pro was only a recent thing. We knew it still went on. So when there was any kind of meeting, once it went public, other than the first couple dozen people, we would address the people in the crowd. By the way, all you infiltrators, you know, we want to let you know we're going to have beers at Hungry Charlie's later if you're interested, where we would talk general politics. Not that it was any big movement, but if there was going to be any meetings held, it would be amongst the few people who trusted each other. And we actually caught a guy. Now, I kid you not, during that whole thing, there's a quad with a bunch of buildings around it, and you can kind of see it. It was easy to hide around some buildings because we were down on the front of the administration building. And we caught a guy. Somebody must have come out of class and seen him because we went up and said, hey, what's going on, buddy? He had like uh, like on the side of your house satellite dish, only a little one with an omnidirectional like oval-shaped mic inside. And he had he did, wasn't FBI. Those guys are 6'2 and very athletic. Just, just a regular-looking guy with a, with a suit, though. What are you doing, buddy? Come on down and join the crowd. We don't, you don't have to hide and, you know, whatever, whatever. And he just walked away. And that was that. So it's real, right? So that's an interesting anecdote. But as far as, can I just jump to the cop thing and bring it right back to Uvalde and this unbelievable, horrible tragedy? Absolutely. So cops and why it's, it's, a, it's a money wreck. It's just so sad. But so, you know, when I, okay, I, I got mugged by a cop where we just had some words. I went outside to catch my bus. He grabbed me from around. He happened to be black. I had nothing. It was all about a power trip. My town has the 48% child poverty rate. We have the number one, number eight, and 13. That's Syracuse, Rochester, and Buffalo. We're number one in child concentrated racial poverty, black poverty in the country, not in the state. Okay. This is the town I live in. So you don't become a cop, whatever your race is, unless you're ready to just beat some people and do things with impunity. I spent 30 hours without a phone call. The guy held me down. I was in blood. 
I couldn't breathe. I had to wait till he wasn't paying attention. I was down for 20 minutes. Finally, I could lift my head up and turn to the side. I was in my pool of blood. They were freaked out. They gave me an MRI at the hospital. I got stitched up, a broken nose, and a tooth missing, okay? And I was literally for 20 minutes in my own blood, et cetera, et cetera. That's the town I live in, right downtown in the, the local bus pub, you know, bus station, okay? So that's Syracuse, right? Now, but... There's a white judge who, my mom worked in the DA's office for 17 years. His name was Judge Merrill. He was very stern, but very fair. I had a whole bunch of tickets, uh, and it was bad because I needed to keep a clean license because I wanted to still drive taxi, and it was a crisscross of the country, failure to appear. It was a misdemeanor. He said to a bunch of guys in chains in the orange suits, this is a stern judge who doesn't mess around. He says, hey, did you break out of jail and, see, and sell more drugs a week after you got here and sneak back in? He did this two or three times with these guys being brought in and they laughed and said, no judge. And he said, this isn't a guy who just said to some higher ups or, you know, back to his colleagues. He said to everybody out there, this stern judge that my mother used to have lunch with about, you can respect the, uh, the justice system and still understand it's bad. And this is a conservative right wing guy. I can tell you my mom's not, but he was. And so he said, yeah, folks, this is what they do. They take the same arrest and the local Syracuse cop. Then the sheriffs get involved, uh, get get their name on it. Then the state police, they change the date to same arrest over and over and over again because they want to bump up the statistics. So, I mean, that, that that's mm. where I live. It's all about money. Not a damn like the old rap song, one of the early rap songs. It's all about money, not a damn thing funny. So remember the recent scandal, right, where it was confirmed what we knew already? about the fact that the money was not going to truth. It wasn't going to armor. It wasn't going to anything. The checks were being written in D.C. and they were being sent to direct deposit in banks in Alexandria and McLean, Virginia, to contractors. So it wasn't even like fraud of like overspending. on. It was just direct, just sucking, just money, just fraud, just ew. Okay, just the worst of the worst. That's what cops do. That's all they are. It is another racket like everything is a mafia racket. Take things that were illegal. Make them legal and let the people that we hire or let pharma run the drug trade. Forget the mafia doesn't run the drug. No, pharma runs the drug trade. 100,000 people dead. The mafia never had heroin addicts or people that drank and whatever in the prohibition to die from that shit. Okay, so that's what the cops are now. It's strictly and, you know, and the reason that we're so fearful when I grew up, I don't want to sound like Abraham Lincoln. I walked a mile to school. A mile home for lunch, a mile back, and then a mile home. Because even though it was a middle-class neighborhood, they didn't have lunch program until fourth grade. So at seven, eight years old, I walked four miles a day on my own, getting in tr not in trouble, but having all kinds of adventures and snowball flights, et cetera, et cetera. Now you can't walk your dog around the block in an upper-middle-class neighborhood without being threatened with custody of your kids. That's really happening. Finally, they're changing some of those laws. But this is a plot and a plan that's been going on. It is more – it's not just, oh, gee, it kind of happened. OK, now a lot of well-meaning people might have passed some of those laws in some of those towns about protecting their kids. But it's about fear. It's about fear, breed, self-isolation. And then, then they can send the cops in because, oh, we've got all the self-isolation. We're all fearful of each other, whether the crime rate goes up or whether it nosedives like it did over the decades. OK, it doesn't matter if it nosedives. We still need more cops. And here's the other racket. Why do cops, right? They make 100,000 salary, unless you've been there a while, then 100,000 overtime. They make more than the mayor. They make more than anybody in the city. Tangentially, what? right? I just read this. 100,000? No, oh, go look it up. Uh, cops in overtime. 100,000 and then 150,000 overtime sometimes. Regular cops. Regular cops. Not lieutenants and sergeants only, okay? The number one paid person at the university, and this is multiplied by 1,000, is the uh, football coach. Not the administrator. Not the chancellor. 
when there was a big sex scandal about the coaches, uh, assistant coach for 35 years, the coach is still there. The guy that was sent to prison, who was the sex offender, was right next to him on the bench for 35 years. But all of a sudden, the chancellor said, I'm going to resign at the end of the semester. Chancellors of major universities, they're like mayors. They're like governors. They spend three years for searches for these people. You don't resign like at the end of your current contract abruptly like that. No. She was the the scapegoat. She was the (laughs) scapegoat. Nancy Cantor, who had a video moment about trying to tell cops, do you know who I am? I'll have you around. Yeah, you so much for that. So this is what the racket is in campuses. It's a mafia racket. The cops, it's a mafia racket. It's all a mafia racket. And, and, and so, like, that's what I mean about tangentially bringing it back to Uvalde. Why did the cops in Florida not go in and they were all cowards? Why are the cops in this case all cowards? Because that's what they do. It's all about statistics and making a lot of money and then using the police union to say, we're, we'll protect and serve it. If you fuck with us, we will do work slowdowns and the crime rate will go up and we won't respond to calls. And that's exactly what they do. So it is, it, it's a, the police state is real and it's there and it's not like it's potential anymore it is it is as real as it gets folks and it's every day and i just i'm the whitest guy you could meet and look what happened to me and i don't talk about that ever because it could give the wrong the cop have the black big deal and you know i'm not trying to make a big deal out of what happened to me i'm just saying it could happen to anyone <laughs> you know 30 hours without a phone call i, I and i went from the jail and i went from the you know from the the, the incident to a hospital where there's an MRI and stitches with a broken nose and blood all over the place. They, they were deer in the headlight. They couldn't believe it because after that long, it was like 45 minutes from when it happened. Dried blood, I was covered. They did an MRI and I went from uh, the hospital jail to, or from the hospital to the jail, which is one of the worst in the country. Great point about sheriffs, but this is the exception that proves the rules run by sheriffs. It's one of the worst in the nation. I spent 30 hours before I got my phone call. Because I do have people that could bail me out, unlike some of the unluckier slobs. But I didn't, you didn't get a chance for thirty hours. It was unbelievable. But I'll stop there at the end of the night. But you know, it's it's a racket, folks, and it's all over. It's not a matter of we better do something before it gets. It's already as worse as it's going to get before it becomes a slaughter in the street uh, of everyone. (laughs) Oh man! Well, Lance, thanks so much for calling in. Always great to hear from you. All right. I'm going to wrap it up with case study QB case. Somehow, I think, I don't know what happened. Somehow you became a caller instead of a speaker. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not your fault. It's my fault that um, I wish calling would have an option that I clicked out by accident and I went to, um, it it kicked me out. But if they had like some way, do you want to confirm? I confirm if you want to leave. Anyway, um, it was my fault. But um, so thank you for having me as a speaker. I really appreciate these discussions and I appreciate you, Sabby. And I, I definitely want to give you your flowers as well as being a great, um, just a, a great show to watch. And you do a great job of breaking down, <clears throat> breaking down issues. And um, the la- I want to leave on this. I want to ask you one question as I leave, right? Now, I, I just saw on the news that, the kids around the country are doing a protest to um, protest uh, the inaction around um, gun control. And I, I want to ask you, do you think if it, this would finally work? How many people are going to be protesting? Did they say it's, a, uh, it's around the country? I saw uh, like it was a rally. So I have to really do more. I got to look into it because I was just literally walking by a TV and said kids are protesting and it showed like a rally. It looked like it was like maybe 100 people there, but um, I have to look into it more. 
But let's say there was a, a big protest. Let's say almost like a George Floyd kind of um, kind of thing where like in di- different towns, different cities, there were big protests. And do you think we would finally get some kind of reform? I think we probably could, like, because, again, that goes back to putting pressure on the politicians. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's one way to do it. And then D.C. would have to be one of those locations. But then at the same time, like I just use George Floyd as an example, and we still don't have any kind of change on George Floyd or police reform. So I don't I don't know. I'm so pessimistic. But that's because that's because with um, George Floyd and defund the police, the demand was to defund the police. But then after that, what was it? That was the problem. Like Mm -hmm. qualified me. Like, I think. That was the thing with defunding the police and like those protests, in my opinion, should have never stopped. Yeah. I See, agree. that was the thing. After Joe Biden won, what happened? Mm-hmm. Yep. Most of the protesters yeah, in D.C. Sweet. went home. And not only that, the big thing that I think would have been very effective was the NBA. I think the NBA was in the bubble and they were really about to say, hey, we're not playing anymore until we get something done. And then Obama swooped, swooped in and bailed out the, the elite and the corporations by talking to Chris Paul and saying, hey, you know, don't worry. We got this. You guys can continue playing. And we still don't have anything to this day. And see, that's why I don't think we should look towards celebrities and professional mm-hmm. athletes to help us in these movements, because all it takes is for one person to say, hey, we got you career wise. Just go mm-hmm. ahead and sit this one out. They usually fall back. There's mm-hmm. no Muhammad Ali's today. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I think it's going to have to be led by like working class people. I think like yeah. we're going to have to lead it and not like rely on like these celebrities and stuff. Because like I said, as soon as their agent says their agent or Obama, or whoever, someone of an elite status like them says, hey, sit this one out. They fall back. And that's it. Yep. Thank you so much, Sabs. Um, you have a great night. Thanks, Case. You do. All right, guys, it is uh, past Sabby's bedtime. I don't know why I hear another voice. That's weird. I wasn't hearing that before. Very strange. Oh, I think I know what happened. Oh, nope. It's just me. That's really weird. Okay. Anyway, guys, it's the end of the night. It's time for me to go ahead and peace out. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'll be back with my show on uh, Monday with more news. So for those of you who are new, if you don't follow me on YouTube, make sure you follow me there. Sabby Sabs. And other than that, guys, uh, thank you so much for participating in the discussion and have a good evening.